0: Welcome to The Exit, a podcast focused on driving better outcomes for business owners facing one of the hardest decisions they'll ever have to make, the sale of their business. The podcast will share insights from experienced advisors and other business owners on key elements around preparing your business for sale and maximizing the enterprise value leading up to that sale. Whether you're thinking of selling your business or you want to maximize the value of your business, you always want to keep your eye on The Exit. Well, hello, everyone. My name is Brett Deering, and I'm a certified exit planning advisor and the host for the Exit Podcast. Today's podcast will focus on tax planning and building the foundation of your trust and estate plan before the sell of your business. And today, to talk about, a little more about that issue, we have Deirdre Wheatley-Liss, principal at Porzio, Bromberg, and Newman. Welcome, Deirdre.
1: Thank you, Brett. Thank you so much, and I appreciate you asking me to speak on the Exit Podcast.
0: Well, we're so excited uh, to have you here on the Exit uh just by a little bit of uh your background obviously you counsel business owners but you also focus on business planning tax planning and estate planning and i think a lot of our listeners would also want to know that you're an author of plan your estate so did i did i get all of your did i get all of your credentials correct yes
1: yeah, yes you did so um uh, back in the day when i was in law school i took a tax law class and the bug bit me um uh-huh. and i've been going from there uh the tax laws are, I'm going to say, really the main way that uh, the government tries to shape private enterprise. Um, And what I really look forward to is focusing in helping people leverage those to their own benefit and having more knowledge about them.
0: Well, that's something we're going to talk about today, especially in light of uh, the proposed uh, legislation with uh, tax cuts. And that's something that I'm sure a lot of business owners are interested in understanding. I know that I've been hearing a lot about it from the perspective of business owners and if this is, you know, now a good time for them to start thinking about selling in 2018 and we'll get to that conversation. But, you know, for our our, our listeners, it'd be great to hear a little about your background, kind of the experience that you have in working with business owners and your role at Porzio.
1: Certainly. Um so back in the day when I started um and I had my uh my tax degree, my LLM, uh tax planning really focused for wealth preservation planning, on estate planning because the estate taxes were very high at that point in time. Right. Many people that I was working with had their own businesses and you can't divorce your business operations and your goals for your business from your wealth preservation goals for your family. They are one and the same.
0: Have to so, stop as a result you there. of <laughs> have go to ahead. Stop you, there. you have to say that again because, you know, it's so interesting. A lot of business owners um, that I work with and I'm sure that you work with really don't see it that way, or maybe that's that, that they're not, that they don't see it that way, but more so, it's, it's something that they don't focus on.
1: Right. So, so think of it this way. So for a business owner, um, A, your business is your biggest asset. B, it's your income source, right, right? Um, which is different um, from people who don't own their own businesses. So when you're looking at how am I going to provide for myself and my family in the future, um, how am I going to transfer my wealth to my family and make sure that they're cared for in the way that I want to, you can't separate that from a business. A business is not the same as your um, investment account that you have. Your investment account, the, your um, value can fluctuate with the market, but with your business, you have a lot of opportunity to put value into your business for what it would be for a third party to buy it mm-hmm. or whether it would be a continuing income stream for your family that a business owner has flexibility to deal with that somebody who is not in that position does not have.
0: Well, wow. that's that's great insight. So when you think about kind of that just that specific situation, you know, how does that work? Is that what you notice or what you see from your experience at uh, in working with, with privately held businesses?
1: It, it is. So once we start to focus on the business, then we start to focus on what opportunities exist because you have a business. Again, you know, if we look at the overall, um, what, what value I bring to the client, you know, wealth preservation. Um, not necessarily wealth maximization but trying to get the most out of what it is that you have so is there something that you can do with your business that is going to have you be able to best reach your goals? Today we're going to be talking about exit planning. One of the things that I bring to owners with exit planning is I can't necessarily change what the offer number is going to be, what that top line number is going to be but there's a lot of things that a business owner can do so that the amount that goes in their pocket is going to be larger or if we flip that around there's a lot of information that a business owner can gather for themselves to make sure that they maximize what goes into their pocket at the end of the transaction, Mm -hmm. and they don't leave money unnecessarily on the table.
0: Um, I'm sure in working with family-owned and privately-held businesses, there may be one or two things that you see a lot of with business owners. What are some of the issues, top issues that you're seeing with business owners today around tax planning and or the, the, the formation of their business?
1: So there's sort of three main issues that where I see um, areas of concern. Um, one deals with the form of business, another deals with um, contractual issues, mm-hmm. um, and a third really deals with employees. Um, but, but from the top line number, I'm going to say this is where I see it all stemming from. Sure. Most business owners that I work with, they started with a great idea in themselves at one point in time. Right. It might have been their basement, it might have been in another bedroom. Um, And they then grew from themselves to uh, a part-time employee, a full-time employee, 10 employees, 50 employees, 100 employees but many times there's still there's still elements of the operation of their business that reflects the fact that this is they are the founder, they were the idea person, they put all their sweat, blood and energy into that and they're not necessarily focused on the infrastructure of the business the same way a purchaser is going to be looking at the infrastructure of their business and that's where there's a great opportunity to invest time and energy in strengthening that infrastructure so that again when there is an exit whether it's you sell, or you have a succession plan, or unplanned, you unfortunately pass away. Mm-hmm. You're able again to maximize those net proceeds that go into your pocket.
0: Sure. So you um, so you, you shared for a second that uh, business owners don't look at the operations the same as a as a potential buyer would. What, explain that to to the to the listeners.
1: Right. So again, so as a business owner, your business is your income stream right? It, it, it's how it is that, that you're, um, you're, you're satisfying your family obligations. It's how it is that you can live your life. Um, as a result of that, many times that I have found with business owners, they don't focus as much on if you were going to be buying your business, where necessarily are your risk elements for your business, right. the same way that a purchaser would because you have looked at those risk elements, you've accepted them, and you're currently reaping the rewards of them. From a purchaser's perspective, though, those risk elements become opportunities to reduce the purchase price because they don't want to take risk on. And that's what I want to talk about, you know, with some of the, sort of those three key areas that I see where there's, uh, where there's concern and opportunity.
0: Sure. So then when we drill down into the formation of a business, I know that I've seen this uh, on many occasions where there's an owner that decides at some point that they want to sell their business um, and we get to kind of the the first phase of, of discovery and we start thinking about the formation of that company and and we find out very quickly that it's not set up properly for the sale of that business you want to share a little bit more in, um, from what you're seeing and your insights and how we can maybe avoid that
1: right so, so and and I have to do this uh, preface this with under current law and I can just speak briefly about what we might be looking at as um, some of these new tax proposals go through great. But under current law, I have, um, again, most of the folks that I work with, they set up their businesses on their own. Um, and I have one client that comes to mind that in probably at like 1.30 in the morning one day, he decided he had to have a Delaware C Corporation, um, a C Corporation being that it is its own separate taxpayer, not a pass-through entity. Um, and he had set up this corporation, and the company grew and grew and grew. But the, the concern with a C Corporation is that there's a double layer of taxation. The corporation pays its own taxes. And then when you go to take money out of the company, you have to pay taxes on the money that's coming out of the company. Right. Um, versus a pass-through entity, which might be an S-corporation or an LLC or something along those lines, all of which have their pros and cons. Um, The issue that this particular client ran into, though, and this is sort of a a subcategory issue of this, is when uh, there was an offer to purchase his business, and it was a very robust offer, it was to purchase the assets of his business, not the stock and equity of his business. Mm -hmm. As a result of that, there were millions of dollars sitting inside this Mm C-corporation that he didn't want to take out Use because he would have had to pay then a second level of taxation to do it. Right. Had he set up from the beginning as an S corporation or an LLC, or if we had had planning time before the transaction to maybe um, diversify some of the operations into pass-through entities, uh, he would have had an oper- – I mean, it, it, it was a $6 million differential at the end of the day right. because of a formation decision that was made. Not that there's anything inherently wrong with it, but he wasn't thinking about the exit at the time that he formed the business.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. You know, And it's interesting because there's a lot of complexity. I mean – on the flip side of that, too, you know, a lot of times where there are financial buyers or private equity groups that want to purchase these businesses, a lot of times they can't um, actually buy into an S corp, right? Um, they have to buy into a C corporation, uh, and so sometimes that can create some issues as well. So to your point, the complexity of uh, understanding the formation, even if you're thinking about selling your business, it's something that owners should sit down and speak with someone like you, Deirdre, and have that conversation, even if they're thinking about it, but it might be a few years down the road, because they may have to do some restructuring of the formation of that business. Does that does that sound uh, accurate?
1: Absolutely correct. So I've had ones that, you know, they've come in, they've had C corporations, for example, um, that either own all of their business, or maybe they own real estate associated with the business. Mm-hmm. And you can do an S corporation election, um, and then there's basically a five-year period where you're still treated somewhat as a C corporation, but if their exit horizon is greater than five years, by doing this, they, again, can significantly increase the amount of wealth that goes into their pockets at the end of the day. Um, Just briefly, you know, we don't know what's going to go on with the new tax laws, but there may be opportunities in the future, and this is speaking to should people be looking at potential exits in 2018. There may be items um, with this new idea that pass-through entities, some of the income could be taxed at a lower rate, not at your high income tax rate, Mm -hmm. 39.6%, but potentially at a lower um, tax rate. If something like this were to happen, there could be great opportunities for owners of businesses Mm -hmm. to be able to significantly reduce their tax obligations. And maybe for them, the exit of the business doesn't look like I'm actually going to transfer the equity. Maybe to them, the exit of the business looks like bringing in a partner to operate the business, right. and they still continue to benefit from the revenues. Um, but again, that's really only, uh, an opportunity available to people who already have pass-throughs. So my first point I would say is to sit down and to think about how do you potentially look at exiting this business. To your point, are you looking at bringing in investors, in which case the C structure may be necessary? Right. Are you looking at transferring it internally, transferring it to children, et cetera? maybe a pass-through might make more sense for you. But you should look at where you are today to make sure that the structure meets your goals because in order to unwind the structure, Mm -hmm. you do need time to make it effective.
0: No, that's a great, great point. And, you know, something that I think a lot of our listeners will get value out of. The one thing that I'll also add on to that, Deirdre, from the the perspective of just the conversation that we had a minute ago is maybe maybe a business owner doesn't understand – The type of purchase, an asset versus an equity purchase, and something maybe that's something we should talk about before we kind of get into some of the proposed tax changes. But I find that a lot of times that also drives the decision for the business owner from the perspective of whether or not they're interested in making that sell or transition of their business. So maybe we can talk about that for a second.
1: Sure, Brett, that's a great point. Um, And a story comes to my mind of a a client that I worked with um, who. Um, had, you know, very much um, A-plus level investment banking advice and A-plus level uh, M&A transaction legal advice, Um, but nobody actually explained to this client the differential to him in his pocket of doing an asset sale versus a stock sale. Um, So just very, very briefly, if you sell the stock of your entity, Mm -hmm. it's a single-layer transaction for you. You're selling the stock of the entity, um, and you get, generally speaking, capital gains treatment as the seller, the purchaser now owns your stock. A um, couple of issues with that from the purchaser side. First of all, if they buy your stock, they're buying your liabilities, and I talked about before the risks that you're willing to accept as the founder and owner of a business may be very different from the risks that a purchaser is willing to accept. Right. Um, secondarily, an asset sale is much more attractive tax-wise to a purchaser. So if we flip over to the asset Asset sale. The asset sale is not that I'm buying the shell of your business, the, the the stock of your business, but I'm buying all the guts of your business. I'm buying, or I'm just buying the guts of your business that I want. Mm-hmm. From a purchaser's perspective, when I purchase the guts of your business. Mm-hmm. I I get new basis in those guts of your business, which means I can depreciate them, which at the end of the day means that my cash flow looks better because I will have less tax obligations because I can now further depreciate the items that you have. From the seller's perspective, though, they may not get the twenty percent capital gains treatment for the sale of the assets themselves. Um, they could have already taken depreciation that's what we call recaptured and it's recaptured at the highest income tax rates. Um, there could be inventory assets that they're selling that are taxes income tax. So the basic idea is is that a stock sale. All things being equal is cheaper to – is, is been more beneficial to the seller because there's more in their pocket. One of the things that you have to understand then as the seller of the company is that there is a quantifiable difference between the two. Mm. And as part of the negotiations, you have to understand that difference so that you continue to be in the best possible position. You don't want to be the person that's shocked to say, what do you mean I have an additional $25 million tax liability under an asset sale Mm -hmm. than I would have had under a stock sale? You would have negotiated that transaction differently.
0: A hundred percent. That is so well said. And, you know, um, a lot of times, you know, there's a lot of statistics that are shown around transactions. And one that I hear from exit planning to uh, even the owners is that 80% of the businesses that are up for sale on an annual basis, privately held businesses, don't sell. And, you know, a lot of people kind of make the assumption that it's because it's a poorly managed business and or um, that there might be some uh, issues with the actual business model itself. But, you know, if you just think about what we're discussing here, it's not necessarily about any of those issues more so than it is, you know, that business owner may have to back out of that transaction because of the way the transaction is potentially structured. Um
1: yep. Brett, i think that that's an excellent point you know when i'm counseling clients the first thing that i recommend that they do
0: mm-hmm. is they get
1: an outside um, appraisal of the of what somebody would buy their business for which oftentimes is very different from when they think that it's worth
0: right
1: but at the end of the day it's only really worth that somebody's going to pay for it um, and number two they then sit down with their financial advisors to go through what am i getting out of this sale after i pay all taxes after I pay any liabilities that I have, and whatever that number is, can I live on that number going forward and maintain the lifestyle that I currently have? And oftentimes, I find that the answer to that is no, and I think that that's a large percentage of that 80% that Mm -hmm. you were speaking about, Mm -hmm. because either they didn't have a good sense of what the market value of their business would be, and they had no sense whatsoever because they were looking at the top line as to what the net number was going to be and then how that was then going to their lifestyle going forward. So I strongly encourage, you know, if you're thinking about this at all, whether, again, it's an exit to a third party, whether it's a transition inside your organization, um, to think about what this looks like, because I have had companies that we've counseled that instead of exiting the business, Mm -hmm. they have brought in a partner that becomes the management team, and they just continue to own the business because that was in their financial best interest.
0: Yep. Agreed. I, I love that, and you know, this is a topic that we, you know, we work very closely together, Deidre. This is something that we we have you know coffee talk about all the time, and and it's something that we could probably spend another hour on. But we have about another eight to ten minutes, and and I want to transition into something that I think a lot of business owners really don't focus on, and something that you and I have kind of had issue with from the perspective of how it's actually. Uh, impacted or impeded a transaction, and that is the lack of contracts, employee contracts, the right types of contracts um, for a business. Um, and this is pre-transaction. Maybe you can kind of open up the dialogue and talk a little bit about what you've seen in that in that area.
1: Absolutely. So, Brett, this is something that's near and dear to me because, again, this was a an, an issue that that arose with a client at one point in time. Mm-hmm. When somebody's buying your business, they're buying what they can monetize. Right, And what they can't monetize is your handshake with somebody. So if your five biggest clients you have no contracts with whatsoever and you operate on a handshake that you made 20 years ago, mm-hmm. again, that's great for you and your revenue because you have a relationship with them. From a purchaser standpoint, though, they are going to highly discount that revenue right. because no obligation of the customer to continue the relationship with the company. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, So one of the things that we talk about with customers is to get contracts with all of your customers and hopefully longer term contracts because again a purchaser is going to want to see a period of recurring revenue so if you can get two to three year contracts that would be a wonderful thing to do Mm -hmm. Um, and as the business owner you want to go to your customer and not say hey I'd like you to sign a contract with me because I'm planning on selling my business but hey our business is growing I want you to sign a contract um, so that we can be in a position to best um, scale for exactly what it is that your needs are and not be putting this as part of a you know an exit discussion right. because obviously the customers used to doing business with you and likes to do business with you yeah. okay so one side is a customer contract second Your contracts have to be assignable, and this is an issue I ran into with a client once, um, is that um, he was selling a business where the value of the business was in all of the customer contracts. And while he had written contracts with all of his customers, Mm -hmm. not a single one had an assignability provision. The result of that was that he had to go back to every single customer and say, hey, will you sign this assignment? Now, for the customer, there's no you know, th- what's the driving need of them to make this a priority in their life? And there wasn't. Right. At the end of the day, he probably got like 65% of them, which also means he got about 65% of the purchase price. Yeah. <laughs> um. And, yeah. And, and, you know, and that's something that, that he could have been putting into his contracts for 20 years before this.
0: You know, it's just, I mean, it, it, it just echoes, you know, and, and I hear this, you know, through different podcasts that we have, but it's just the planning. I mean, you know, I understand and we understand that business owners are just so busy with running their day-to-day business. But there's this whole other element around the business, as you said, as you go from five employees to 50 to 100 to 250. The operational components that, that you know, are gapped uh, when you're when you're kind of growing this business is really what's taking away from the value. And that's why you need to have this process in place. I'll share with you just quickly. A situation where it was about an employee, where there wasn't an employee contract, a key uh, employee contract, and the business owner was in the process of negotiating an LOI. They got through the due diligence process, uh, and as they were getting ready to sign the contract, one of their key salespeople found out that they were selling the business, and basically, because they did not have a contract, was able to impact and make them retrade, uh, you know, that transaction. And you know, this salesperson actually got. A part of uh, the equity in that in that uh, transaction as well. So again, it's not that you don't want to treat people well, and it's not that you don't want them to participate in that transaction, but you don't also want to be held over a barrel either. In arguably one of the most important times in that transaction, so it's key to make sure that all of your uh, key employees have contracts, and that you know most importantly that you're focused on that, and that it's constantly being reviewed at least on an annual basis.
1: Uh, Brett, that's a great point. The other consideration I would give is that from a cost-benefit analysis, mm-hmm. that was, you just described a very expensive situation for the business owner. Yep. Okay? If the business owner had a policy that every single employee that comes in the door, that they have um, a non-disclosure agreement that they sign, um, as well as for certain levels of employees, that the policy is that everybody has an employment agreement that they have there, That gives them the flexibility to sell when the opportunity arises because they don't have somebody in this situation that can hold them over a barrel. Mm -hmm. Um, If you have contracts with your customers, you don't have a situation where you might need to be going out and seeking them or um, making sure they have the assignment provisions. And it's very low cost. I mean, you you invest in having one employment agreement drafted, Mm -hmm. and then you use it over and over again, one NDA. Um, you do your standard terms and conditions um, with your contracts, and then your salespeople um, are free to then modify what the actual deal terms are, but the standard terms and conditions are the same. Hmm. These are very low elements of investment that are repeatable um, that I wish people would engage in a little bit more. Sure. Um, with with the whole, sort of holding you over a barrel, the other thing that you need to look at is certain vendor relationships that you have. Hmm. Um, so flipping from the customer and employee side, Landlords, Um, I cannot tell you how many times, because in order to sell your business, you're going to need to have an approval of assignment from your landlord. If that's not built into your lease... I've had situations where the landlord has said to this to the seller of the company, The only way I'm going to agree to this assignment is that if you agree to personally guarantee the lease going forward, even though you've sold the business. So now think about this. Yeah. Somebody else is operating the business and is in the space and the seller is personally guaranteeing probably their second largest operational expense, that being their rent. Right. Um, and it was either that or you don't get to sell the business because you can't sell the business without the assignment. Wow. So this goes, you know. In your lease agreement, so the last, you know, seven years earlier when you're renewing your lease, make sure you have an assignment provision in it. Not because you know you want to sell in seven years, but so you have the flexibility to sell without having being held hostage, basically.
0: Wow, that's that's that is such great insights. I mean, so if we summarize just kind of these two topics from the perspective of what can we do to be able to help a business owner? How should a business owner focus on trying to make these changes um, and, and, and do it on a regular basis? What's the easiest way for them to do that?
1: So I think it's two things. One is sort of a, maybe a, a, a one-time or a once-every-three-to-five-years analysis of what's my structure, what's my value, and if I were to sell under the current tax environment, mm-hmm. what under these assumptions might my net benefit look like? Um, and if that means that in looking at it, you know, hey, because you have a C corporation, there's an issue with your structure here. Or because you have an S corporation, if your goal is to bring in a private investor, you're going to have to change the way that you do your taxation. Mm-hmm. Know about that so that you can be thoughtful about that. Because as I said, mentioned earlier, in order for the fixes of the form of business to take, it generally takes several years. So you need to do that in advance. Wow. Secondly, create a 12-month process of looking at all of your contractual arrangements, whether they're with customers, employees, vendors. And make somebody responsible for right-sizing those, documenting those. Um, It can be a 24-month process. And again, it doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't have to take a huge amount of time. It needs to be a shift, though, in what your operating procedures are so that you're looking at your operating procedures not with an eye to how do they impact my business operations today, but with an eye to how do I maximize the value of my business in the eyes of a third-party purchaser down the road.
0: Yeah. You know, you said it's an inexpensive, but you know, when you think about just, you know, the the example that you gave about the landlord not doing that is extremely expensive.
1: Right, and you would have paid somebody to negotiate your lease anyway, so now we're just talking one provision, so it really has no incremental expense. Um, You know, again, maybe you work with your attorney to come up with your standard employment agreement, and then you just continue to use it going forward. Uh, Whatever that investment is that you're making in better documenting what you have, again, with an eye towards what a purchaser might think about things is going to be far less expensive than when you go through a due diligence process. Mm -hmm. All of these issues arise. And when issues arise in due diligence, that translates to less dollars that you get. It is a direct translation.
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. You know, um, let's let's spend the rest of our time together, Deirdre, if we can, talking about something that I think everyone as a business owner uh, is focused on, and that's kind of this new tax reform that's been proposed and, and uh, is being negotiated. You know, it, it's interesting. Um, I'm hearing so much from not only the, the, the business owners but also from trusted advisors that are working with, uh, you know, business owners around how this could potentially impact – Uh, you know, the sale of a business moving forward in 2018, you know, it'd be great to get your thoughts and views on kind of what you see as the opportunity and maybe what you see as maybe some of the issues that business owners need to be aware of.
1: Sure. Um, So uh, a couple of things to think about. Um, The the first is this idea of some pass-through income will benefit from a lower tax rate, okay? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. From a policy perspective, I think that makes a lot of sense. Why is it that Um, the fact that um, you employ 250 people under an LLC structure and somebody else employs 250 people under a C-corporation structure, that there's such a great differential in what it is that you do. Mm -hmm. Um, Because under the C-corporation structure, the owners can receive dividends and potentially receive them at 20%, and you're paying 39.6%. So from a policy perspective, it makes sense. The issue, of course, comes down to what happens when you get into the weeds of it. And what I'm generally, you know, hearing them say is that you need to have sort of a, an, an active business in order to get the benefit of this flow through taxation. Um, they don't want people going out and creating LLCs around their investment accounts and now saying, hey, I should be taxed on my interest income now at, uh, at uh, 15 or 20% and not at, uh, you know, 39.6%. Um, I do note that they've carved out for um, attorneys, accountants, et cetera, um, which I do question because I'm not quite sure why it is that when we employ people, um, <laughs> it's less valuable. But 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 putting all of that aside, so one of the things that we would be looking at at this pass through is ex- really examining someone's business operations right. and trying to put as much of the business operations into buckets that qualify for the lower taxes, whatever right. that looks like. There'd be a lot of work around that. Secondly, from the wealth preservation perspective, what they're talking about is eliminating the estate tax over a period of time continuing the step-up in basis, the step-up in basis being that when you pass away, any appreciation earned during your lifetime disappears. So if you have a $50 million business and your basis is $5 million and you sold it while you were alive, you would have a $45 million capital gain. Mm -hmm. If you died and your family sold the business for $50 million, they would have a zero capital gain because their basis becomes the fair market value, the $50 million. Okay. Right, Right. If they're going to be doing that, now this looks at a situation, and, and they're continuing to have the gift tax in place. So now, why do I want, if my goal is to maximize the value for my family, mm-hmm. Why do I want to sell my business? Because if I sell my business, in my example, I have to pay taxes at 20% on $45 million, right? Since I have somebody else operating the business and I continue to own it, when I eventually die, my family will get my $50 million business with zero tax cost under this proposal because there's no estate tax Mm -hmm. and there's a full step up in basis. So in my mind, it shifts what exit planning looks like for a closely held business owner. It might actually mean a management transition Mm -hmm. under at least the House proposal more so than an actual exit from the business where, again, we're looking at how do I maximize the money in my family's pocket.
0: Got it. So in other words, what you're saying is there's still some type of exit. It's just going to look under the current proposed law. Uh, tax reform it's going to look different as to how you would exit
1: exactly if the idea of the exit is how do we maximize how we define an exit could be very very different under that scenario Mm -hmm. Um, and it also you know Again, if we're maybe putting our company into different buckets Mm -hmm. and those buckets are structured differently, maybe exits become more of partial exits because we maintain the parts of the company where we can get the pass-through taxation at the lower Mm rates. And we look to transition out of parts of the company where we're paying a higher income tax amount on it.
0: Yeah, So I I
1: think that… There can, be a lot of, there can be a lot of different shades as to what this might look like moving forward.
0: So I'm a business owner, Deidre, and I'm thinking, you know, and I'm listening to what's being, you know, shared um, on the news and in the papers in regards to the new legislation. What What would you tell me uh, at this point? What should I do?
1: I, I've actually said to my business owner clients who are considering exit strategies to take a deep breath and pause. Mm-hmm. Let's see what the laws are going to look like, because especially you may be earning so much more money out of your company, nothing else being different because of your tax liability going down that the assumptions that you were making on selling your company can be so dramatically different you may no longer wish to sell and this is for people who are younger who are you know or maybe looking at selling because they see it as a current opportunity for sale
0: right. yeah that's great that's a great point to kind of differentiate between you know some of the you know i think what we you and i work with uh which are some of the more mature business owners that have been at uh, the business for 25 30 years there's no successor uh to take over that business and uh you know at that point they're looking at it and saying it's it's time for me to exit uh maximize the value of that business and exit because really that's the that's the option that i have in front of me
1: Right, and for those people, then you know they may look at bringing in a management team. But but to be candid, and and for people who are listening, I'm sure that they'll recognize themselves in this. There are some people that don't do well (laughs) having others run their business. I'm I'm sure that'll resonate. (laughs) I I could
0: I wouldn't even imagine I couldn't ever imagine that.
1: (laughs) So so for those folks, we're still going to be looking potentially at doing an exit. But again, maybe what we're going to be looking at doing is a partial exit. And you know, again, if I take the example of the family business where you own the real estate as well as that you own the business Mm -hmm. well maybe you want to maintain the real estate because that income stream is going to be taxed so much more um, favorably going forward and you just want to sell the business at this point in time which also lowers the amount of of overall tax that you're paying because you're maintaining one of the assets so i think at the end of the day whatever new legislation comes out, whatever it looks like, if these are the underpinnings of it that we're discussing right now, mm-hmm. it will make what does it look like to exit your business very different in 2018 than it has been previously.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. So if I could just try to summarize that, if you're, uh, you know, kind of a a younger business owner who, you know, is looking at, you know, the opportunity for them to kind of taking a, a cash in on on a great business opportunity or model or, uh, idea, you know, your 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 conversation is you know, maybe we should pause and see what 2018 looks like, for you know the you know the elder statesman who's been you know uh, at that for you know 15, 20, 30 years who doesn't have a successor and and at this point is looking to exit the business because you know it's either that or the value starts to to decrease and and slide. Um, then let's, let's start to think about strategically planning and how this is going to impact that transaction for you. Is that, is that an appropriate summary?
1: That sounds like an excellent summary.
0: Awesome. Well, you know, I, I hear Porzio. I've worked with Porzio Bromberg and Newman very, very closely, and, and I've heard nothing but uh, great words and uh, a lot of respect around the name. Maybe you can take a minute and just talk about the firm and, and services, I should say, you have uh, uh, for business owners.
1: Certainly Brett and, and thank you for that. Um so we very much have a um I'm gonna say across human services focuses on business owners. Um uh, it starts from the corporate and tax planning side, um, in terms of how do you minimize your overall obligations. Mm-hmm. But since so much of what our practice is and, and what the value that we want to bring to the clients is on this pre exit planning, on better structuring your transactions. Um, we have transactional attorneys who assist with contracts, intellectual property attorneys that help you paper your great ideas because again, from a purchaser's perspective your great idea isn't worth as much as it is if it's patented or copyrighted or trademarked. Um, Real estate, dealing with making sure that when we're looking at the real estate releasing, that at that time we're looking at what the exit strategy is. So we're able to bring all of those services and we do it under the umbrella of you have a, I'm going to say, sort of a primary care relationship with one of the partners here who you have a close relationship with and then, again, using the primary care relationship model, we then bring in whatever specialist, whether they're inside Porzio or outside of Porzio, it could be accounting specialist, valuation specialist, financial advisory specialist, mm-hmm. to be able to make sure that the business owner in the, let's call it three to five years potentially leading up to an exit, a transition, a succession plan are putting themselves in a position to maximize the money in their pocket.
0: No, that's great. Um, you know, we're at that point in, in the segment where we have one question. It's kind of our business owner's exchange question. The question really is, what's the single one most important piece of advice that you would want to offer to our business owner listeners today?
1: The single piece of advice I would offer to them is to get their contracts in order. Mm-hmm. The next time you have an opportunity with a client, start papering those agreements and get those contracts in order. It will never harm you to do that. You have, you know, you could be collecting on them and now you've got a better chance of collecting on them. You can avoid a lawsuit and a dispute in, in the future. To take the time to memorialize agreements and contracts that are well written and will best serve your purposes.
0: As usual, Deidre, just an unbelievable conversation. You know, you and I could probably do this all day, but (laughs) I'm sure our listeners probably won't want to hang on. But what I will say is that, you know, with the content that we covered today, I'm sure that there are some of the business owners that are going to listen that may want to continue this conversation with you. How do they get in touch with you?
1: The best way to get in touch with me, um, I would say, is via email. They can either Google me. There is only one Deirdre Wheatley List on Google. Um, and if not, the email is drwheatleylist, so like drwheatleylist at pbnlaw.com.
0: And uh, on LinkedIn?
1: And, and on LinkedIn as well, um, I welcome LinkedIn um, communications, am very active there, um, and I look forward also to comments and questions from folks for um, anything that they have to maybe generate additional discussions with other business owners about what it is that they are seeing and how you can incrementally invest in your business to maximize that return on investment upon some kind of transition.
0: Well, I I would say that, again, you know, Deidre, we really greatly appreciate the opportunity for you to speak with us today. And I think this was a very meaningful conversation and one that I think our listeners will get a lot of value out of. So thank you very much for for being a guest on The Exit.
1: Brad, thank you so much for inviting me to The Exit. This has been wonderful. Thank you.
0: Thank you. And thank everyone for listening. That will do it for this uh, segment of The Exit. For everyone, thank you for listening and have a great day. This concludes this week's podcast on the exit. I'm your host, Brett Deering, and remember always keep your eye on the exit. If you want to reach us at the exit, please reach out to brett at the exitpc.com. That again is brett at the exitpc.com.